All right, good morning, church. Thank y'all, front row. Appreciate y'all very much. Now, glad all of you are here. If you don't know me, my name is Bo Riles, and I get the privilege of serving here as the sending pastor at Connection. Um, and I'm really, I know I've probably said this before, but I'm really excited about being here today um, because before I even knew I was preaching this, uh, God's just, God's been doing a work in my heart on the topic we're going to be on today. So uh, I'm really glad that I'm able to do that with y'all. Uh, if we have any first-time guests, I want to say a special welcome to you guys. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and I'll give a quick uh, little update on some of our announcements real fast, and then we'll dive in. But uh, first things first, worship night has obviously been postponed. I want to make sure you guys are aware of that. Uh, we've put it on social media and stuff like that. But worship night has been postponed for tonight. Um, other than that, uh, we're still going to have it, don't worry. But other than that, um, there's so, so much I want to celebrate with y'all today. Uh, primarily, next Saturday on the 28th at 5 p.m., we're going to have our back-to-school bash, which is actually focused on a community in town that we've been working alongside and just getting to know lately. Uh, and that, that back-to-school bash is actually directly connected to a kids' uh, ministry or a kids' program we've been doing every other Saturday. And as of yesterday, that program had over 20 kids, 10 volunteers, and one parent who were present to hear and received the gospel yesterday, and I was just so excited about that. And listen to me, these, these events, like the Back to School Bash, help us get families plugged into the kids' program. So that's why it's so exciting to me, and uh, most importantly, this is the part I'm most excited about. Uh, we've got over 50 families that we were able to gather needs from, and we were able to get all of those needs plugged into small groups and individuals in our church, and now this coming Saturday, all 50 of those needs are going to be met. And those families are going to come together with our small groups and, and build relationships, hopefully. So one more time, let's praise God for that. Awesome. So with that in mind, I want to share something uh, somewhat personal as far as the program is concerned. Um, about a month ago, I started feeling really discouraged. Uh, I started feeling like, you know, we started out with a, a bunch of kids and we started out with some serious buy-in from the parents. And then next thing you know, the numbers on the, the kids started going down, the participation from the parents started going down. And uh, I just got really discouraged. But at the same time, I was reading a book um, and the, the chapter for that particular time frame was on surrender. It talked a lot about, you know, it's, it's not about our success. It's about our faithfulness. You know, it's not about results. It's about just being committed to what God's called you to do. And that was super convicting to me, you know, and I had just decided, like, God, I want to leave the results up to you. God, I, I want to be faithful. I don't want to try to be successful. So I was convicted in that, and that drove me to, to pray. Like, God done a work in my heart that pushed me deeper into prayer, not just for the, the families, not just for the kids, but for the ministry as a whole, even for the volunteers. And uh, the more I prayed, it was kind of funny because it was almost like God said, you're going to eat your words. Because the week after that, even less kids showed up. And uh, it was funny to see that because God had done a work in my heart and I had began praying even more intimately, it was like God gave me the ability, just to show me grace and gave me the strength to say, hey, you know what? If there's two or there's 500, like, we're going we're gonna to be faithful. Like, we're going to be committed. We're going to keep rocking. And we're going to be excited about this thing. And we did, me, my wife, my family, um, my friends. And it's just cool to see that the deeper that he drove me into prayer this past week, there were over 20 kids there. I don't want us to miss the fact that that's directly tied to God answering prayers. We can't overlook that. And of course, I'm not saying that God's always going to answer in that way. His answer may have been 
less kids the following week. But either way you look at it, um, I'm very excited about that. And I tell you this story because today we're going to be diving into prayer. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, and this is what God's been teaching me over the past little while. So again, I'm really excited about it. But I do got to tell you, we're probably not going to talk about anything novel today. We're not going to talk about anything new. I'm probably not dropping some theological truth bombs on y'all today. Today is going to be some, some family talk. Today's going to be dinner table talk. I want us as a family to talk about prayer. I want us to talk about prayer in such a way that when you leave here today, you've got a renewed passion to communicate with God. You've got a renewed passion to fall on your face tonight. Okay, that's what I pray for us. Today's more about encouragement. Um, we're going to simply look, we're going to look, at, look in Luke 11, but we're going to look at three questions. Why don't we pray? Why should we pray? And how should we pray? So in light of that, I'm going to pray now, and then we'll read the chapter. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for where you are. We thank you for what you're capable of doing and what you've done. And God, we just, we praise you for, for Christ. We, we praise you for the, the, the benefits that he's, he's given to us, the things that he's accomplished for us when we couldn't accomplish them for ourselves. We're thankful for your word. And God, most of all, I'm, I'm specifically thankful for prayer this morning. I'm glad that you've given me your ear. I'm glad that you want to hear from me. And I'm thankful that in your word, you've taught me how to pray, God. You, you've shown me what it looks like. So as we read through Luke chapter 11, I pray that this would be all of our hearts today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, verse one. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Even Jesus had a place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins if we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Remember, we receive God's grace so we can extend it. Continuing on, and lead us not into temptation. Now here's his illustration, verse five. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, let me start right there too. This was before clocks. This doesn't mean 12.00. It means the literal middle of the night, middle of the dark time. And you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are already in bed. Probably a one room building. All the family's asleep right there in what we'd call the living room. And this guy's just banging on the door. He says, I can't get up and give you anything. Um, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Moral of the story, if nobody answers, just bang louder, I guess. But now we get the application. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The purpose of this, this parable, this little analogy here, is to show you that God is the opposite of the man inside the house. The man is not coming to the door. He's not letting you in. He's not honoring your request. He doesn't want to hear you. He wants you to go away. God's the opposite. Full access, unfettered access, right? But before we go any further, 
Let's go ahead and get to our points. But at the end of verse 13, it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To those who ask him. We got a real problem with asking him, it seems like. Um, why, why don't we ask him? All right, let's get to the point of why don't we pray? Well, some would say I forget about it. Some would say I just don't think about it. Some would say I need to be more disciplined, right? I need to hunker down and I need to work on my prayer life. And, and listen to me, we, we treat prayer like it's going to the gym or starting a new diet plan or something, but the problem's a little bit deeper than just your willpower. The problem is a lack of power. It's, it's no power. So either A, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, or B, you're simply not walking in the Spirit, right? So one of those two reasons, A, you're not saved. You haven't come to a place where you surrendered your life completely to Christ, or B, maybe you have, and worse yet, you're just walking in disobedience to God. You found yourself in a place where you're not walking in the things of God. You're not pressing toward the will of God. But in either one of those cases, if we're not walking in the spirit, it means we're walking in the flesh, all right? And a lot of us know from scripture that this is a bad thing to be doing, all right? And let me tell you why. So when we walk in the flesh, the flesh is hostile to God. The flesh does not want to pray. The flesh does not want you to pray. Because at that point, you're acknowledging the fact that you're weak, the fact that you can't accomplish something on your own. The flesh doesn't want to do that. It's too prideful, right? So whenever I pray to God and say, hey, I, I can't do this. I need you to intercede. I need you to help me. The flesh begins to show out and it becomes prideful. Now, what are some obstacles here? We're talking about why don't we pray? Let's get right into the obstacles. First of all, it's unbeliefs that we hold, okay? The first obstacle are unbeliefs that we hold. But don't think of unbelief as me saying you believe God and prayer are not real. It's, it's not that, all right? Maybe it means that you haven't encountered this concept or maybe you don't understand this concept on a deep enough level for it to like reorient your life. Maybe you haven't encountered prayer or maybe you don't understand prayer deep enough for it cause you to make some sacrifices and orient your life around prayer. That's an unbelief. Like you believe it to be true. You know that prayer is a good thing. You know that God's gonna do cool stuff through it and things like that, but you still haven't surrendered everything else and built your life around prayer. That's an unbelief. You haven't believed it enough to buy into it. All right, these unbeliefs, the first one that I think of are honest questions. Everybody's got honest questions. For example, maybe you say, Bo, well, God doesn't answer my prayers. So why should I pray? That's an honest question, okay? I've, I've asked questions like this before, and I don't fault anyone for, for bringing up these questions and being honest about what you've got. But, but here's the problem with the honest questions. It's typically not, not an issue with God. The, the, the honest questions that you have reveal your unbelief. For example, in this one particular, the problem is not that God isn't responding. The problem is you have an unbelief in what God promised you. God said that he would have your best in mind. You, you begin to have these doubts that like, because God doesn't answer how you want him to, you have doubts that he cares for what's best for you. If, if my kids come home from daycare and they smash about 15 Reese cups and then they smash about 10 packs of gummies and then Carter walks up to me and says, daddy, I want that cupcake on the counter. I'm going to look at her and you know, I probably shouldn't do this because I'm lying. I'm more than likely going to give her the cupcake. But in a perfect world, I would look at my kid and I would go to the pantry. I'd get an apple or I'd go to the, the refrigerator and get some fruit, right, or some vegetables. I'd cut them up and I'd put them on a plate on the table. My daughter's going to look at me like I'm an idiot, right? Now, she no longer thinks that I've got her best interest in mind because I didn't give her what she wanted. Now, she's going to go to her mama and ask her mama for cupcakes next time. But let me tell you what really happened in that situation. 
My child had a need. Her need was not a cupcake. Her need was hunger. All right? I met her needs based on what was best for her. I didn't give her what she wanted, but I met her need. I gave her fruit or vegetables instead of a cupcake. Because she didn't get what she wanted, she didn't get the answer she was looking for. Now, her unbelief has caused her to question me. So, again, one of the obstacles are the unbeliefs we hold, these honest questions. Now, on top of these honest questions, some of us have real excuses, right? We've got real excuses as to why we won't pray. You know, I know I should pray, but I just don't. Uh, excuses like, hey, we have good intentions. We have good intentions. We say things like, hey, I'll be praying for you, man. Like, hey, I'm gonna pray for your mama. Hey, I've been praying for your daddy. And you know good and dang well you ain't prayed for him the first time. Tell me I'm lying. Or even worse, even worse, good old fake book, I mean, Facebook, um, you get on there and you're like, hey, let's all be in prayer for so-and-so. Let's all be in prayer for so-and-so. Like they got this going on or they got that going on. How many times have you prayed for that family? When you get on Facebook and you put these posts out there, how many times have you actually prayed for the family? Right? You got good intentions with it. You got good intentions, but, but you're not actually living it out. So another excuse, right? We've got good circumstances. I don't think we would openly admit this, but for a lot of us, things are going pretty good. Like, I don't really sense, like, a deep desperation for God. Like, my child is not, like, super sick in the hospital or my parents aren't super sick in the hospital or something that's, like, pushing me to this point of, like, desperate need for God. Therefore, I don't call on him. You know, we've we've got to call on God when things are good and when things are tough. Um, Number three, we don't have time to pray. All right, and I'm going to level with you here. Maybe this will make you feel good. You, You don't have time to pray. I'll play into that for you. You don't have time to pray. I don't have time to pray. But you don't have time to pray because you don't make time to pray. All right, you don't make time to pray. We will make time for the things we love. If you don't believe me, listen to this. True story, I'm not making it up for this sermon. But I've got three kids and a wife at home too, remember that. But I love taking my boat to the river and catching catfish so much that I will put my kids to bed at 8.30 at night, load that thing up, drive it to the river and stay out till one o'clock in the morning on the river right by myself because I love it so much. But I assure you, as bad as I hate to admit this, I hadn't sat down at 8.30 at night and prayed till one o'clock in the morning at my house yet. So that's the truth, right? We, we've got some good excuses. We don't have time to pray. The truth is I do have time. I just don't make the right time. Uh, number four, we're too tired to pray. And, and listen, in a way, I'm with you on this, okay? Pray, it takes a lot to really commit to pray, to reorient your life around prayer. It takes some buy-in. The apostle Paul said, listen, labor with me in prayer. When the disciples were in the garden with Jesus, he was praying so much the disciples fell asleep on him a couple of times. All right? it's, it's hard. Like I can stand up here and preach for two hours today, but when I get home, it's, it's hard. It's everything I can do to rock on for 20 minutes of praying. It is hard. It's emotionally, physically, spiritually draining. So, you know, just, it's just another excuse, like a real excuse that we add to the pile. Now, another obstacle is just maybe you have some confusing experiences with prayer, right? Am I alone in that? Uh, maybe sometimes you pray and God answers in a real and clear way. And then maybe at other times, you know, you had something come to your mind, but you completely forgot to pray about it, and then God answers it anyway, you know, or, or maybe on top of that, sometimes you, you pray fervently over and over and over, and it just seems like God's not answering. Right? So that's one of the obstacles. You get all these mixed up experiences with prayer, and it pushes you into this point to where you're like, well, well God's going to do what he wants to do, right? So why should I pray? 
it, it pushes people in that direction. And listen, those unbeliefs right there, those are just the first obstacles to pray. And the second one is insecurities that we have. Everybody in this room's got an insecurity about prayer, whether you want to admit it or not. Everyone in here at some point has an insecurity when it comes to prayer. We lose focus when we pray. We lose focus when we pray. <laughs> I don't mean this to be too funny, but I can be praying for an unreached people group at home one night, and then all of a sudden, I'm thinking about cutting my grass tomorrow because I remembered that I got to send diapers to daycare with Hudson tomorrow, and that reminded me of him playing with his tractor before bed, and that reminded me of how much I love tractors, which reminds me that I need gas in my yard tractor, which reminded me my grass needs to be cut. Y'all get stuck in that? I, I mean, I always find myself in some kind of weird place like that. But um, we, get, we all get distracted when we pray. We see it in women, and y'all got superpowers. Y'all got superpowers. I've watched Lauren hold a baby in one hand, talk on the phone, send a text at the same time, and cook dinner, but gets distracted in prayer. Still gets distracted in prayer. And guys, we, we're out there too. You know, we can keep up with a score of six different football games on Saturday, keep the temperature on the grill right, throw the football, and still look at new boats on our phone, but we get distracted in prayer. We're, we're all there. None of us are immune to it. Um, you know, and it creates these insecurities. We get distracted. We, we lose train of thought. Um, this is interference from Satan. Listen to me, when we pray, Satan will move mountains to keep you distracted. Satan will move mountains. The phone's gonna ring, a kid's gonna cry, dog's gonna bark, that fly's gonna keep buzzing by your head the whole time you're praying. Satan will do anything he can to distract you. And look, not only, not only do we get confused and distracted, but uh, we say weird stuff when we pray. Have y'all ever been around that person? Lord, Father, God, Father, we thank you, Father, for the Father, amen, Father. We, we, get, we say weird things. Um, we, some of us, we know exactly what we want to pray about before we go into prayer. But the minute you start praying, it leaves your mind. I hate to keep picking on Lauren and her family, but my first Thanksgiving with my in-laws after I became a pastor, somebody put me on the spot and, uh, hey, Bo, you want to bless the food? I mean, there's tons of hillbillies in there. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, I got you. So I go to pray, and like I kind of know an idea about what I'm about to say, and I completely lose it, y'all. I'm not even kidding. I was like, God, we thank you for, uh, and then this huge silence followed, and I was like, thank you for this food, amen. That was it. So that was the preacher's prayer at Thanksgiving. Now it's a running joke. That's pretty much the prayer that I pray every Thanksgiving for him. But, you know, we, we, we get distracted. We lose our train of thought. We say weird stuff. We forget what we're going to say. We keep doing things like this, and it adds to these insecurities that we have. Maybe you say mundane prayers. Maybe every week you say the same thing over and over. New day, same prayer, right? It's religious. It's not relationship. But that creates some stuff in our heart that creates some insecurities. But our obstacles this far are our unbeliefs that we hold and the insecurities we have. But don't forget about the accusations we believe. All right, don't forget about the accusations we believe. If Satan could do one thing, he'd get this church to stop praying. He'd get every church to stop praying. If you asked him, what is your number one wish, that would be it. Listen to me, this morning, Satan probably looked at his demons and said, do you see that guy that's going to preach? Don't worry about him. You see that, that sermon that he's gotten, got written, the sermon he's gonna preach? Don't worry about it. It holds no power. But if he starts praying, you better do something. If he starts praying, you better fight. If this church starts praying, you better fight, right? Satan laughs at our organizations. 
Satan laughs at our assemblies. Satan laughs at our programs, at kids' ministries and discipleship platforms. Satan laughs at every bit of that. He laughs at our religion. But I tell you what, he trembles at prayer. He's scared to death when people start praying. Satan's scared to death. And because he knows what prayer can do, he brings accusations. All right, This is, this is the next obstacle to prayer. He brings accusations. Things like, you can't pray. Listen to me. That is a lie you have bought into. Satan is bringing accusations. He's bringing lies. The word of God is true, though. Listen, can you say, God, help me learn how to pray? That's a prayer right there in itself. That's a prayer. But Satan brings these accusations. One, things like, God isn't listening. God's not listening to me when I pray. Do y'all believe this to be true? Like, you, Do you believe what's in this book? You believe God could tell a lie? Because John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's listening to you. Satan brings accusations. He plants those accusations in your mind. He tells you God's not listening. You buy into that. That's a lie. The word of God is truth. Satan brings accusations like you can do this on your own, right? Like you can, you can pull yourself up out of this hole. You can work through this problem. But again, right here in this book, John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Satan brings these accusations that you can handle this. You can't. The word of God says otherwise. And listen, I, I would even go a little bit further and say like, it may appear that you can do some things on your own. For example, you might could go start a business, right? And you might become very successful. But if you forget to acknowledge God's role in all of this, you always lack. You always lack content, contentment. You always lack rest. All right, you can't do this on your own. It's not possible. That is an accusation straight from Satan. It's a lie. It's Satan trying to attack the truth. Now, the last obstacle that I want to talk about real quick are some misconceptions about prayer. Again, these are nothing novel. This is very simple. Um, but prayer is not a magic wand. All right? I know we don't live in Atlanta. I know the traffic's not that bad. But when you're in traffic, prayer is not your opportunity to say, God, part this traffic like the Red Sea. I'm in a hurry. It doesn't work that way. Apply it to whatever you want to apply it to. It's not a fire extinguisher. Hey, Break this glass in case of an emergency. If, if, if he's not your first response, if he's your last resort, you've got a misconception about prayer. If the only time you find yourself communicating with God is whenever all hell's breaking loose, there's a problem. There's a misconception. And let me pause right there and say this. I hope you're praying when all hell's breaking loose. I'm not telling you that it's a bad thing to pray whenever you know the fires are coming on. Like That's exactly when you need to be praying. But what I'm getting at is you need to be praying when things are good as well. This is not a fire extinguisher, okay? And lastly, it's not a genie in a bottle, all right? You can't stand outside the 7-Eleven quickie flash food circle Kmart whatever and pray that God's going to bless your scratch-offs and help you become a winner. It don't work that way, all right? He's not a genie in a bottle. I don't take him out of the realm of it. He could accomplish whatever he wanted to accomplish, but that's not the intention of prayer, Prayer is about relationship. Prayer is about relationship. Simply put, listen to me, there's tons of obstacles to us praying. Satan's going to make absolutely certain that he puts every obstacle he can before you because he is deathly afraid of a church that prays. He knows what will happen if the church starts praying. 
So now for us, what we gotta do is we've gotta recognize, we've got to analyze our lives, and we've got to figure out what our obstacles are. So I ask you, what's keeping you from praying? What are your obstacles? To begin to fight Satan in this situation, you need to figure out what your obstacles are and you need to fight them with prayer. You need to address them. All right? You need to address them. But now we know why we don't pray. Let's roll into our second point and uh, let's talk about why should we pray. Why should we pray? All right? First and foremost, and this is my favorite, it's a gift from God. Prayer is a gift from God. We've got to start recognizing this thing for what it really is. This is a precious, precious gift. Verses five through seven, it says, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I told you a while ago, the point of this story is to show you God is the exact opposite of the man in the house. He's the exact opposite. He went on to say, knock and the door will be open to you. All right? As children of God, not only do we get unfettered, open access to him, but we don't have to earn it or bang on the door or do a whole lot of work to get him to come to the door. All you gotta do is simply ask. The gift's been laid before you. Just reach out and take it. And listen, Jesus recognized prayer as a gift. Jesus recognized prayer for what it really was. It was, a, it was an invitation to a relationship with God, but Jesus recognized it. Let's, I'm gonna keep it in the scope of the book of Luke. We won't get into everything else, but just in the book of Luke, we see Jesus praying everywhere. He prayed before he was baptized in Luke 3. He spent time with God in Luke 5. He prayed before he chose his disciples in Luke 6. He prayed before his death in Luke 22. He prayed on the cross in Luke 23. This was not a new concept that came about in Luke chapter 11. Jesus had been praying the whole time. And and the reason that I point that out to you is because the way Jesus leaned into this gift, the way that Jesus received that gift must have been something very special. Because I want you to recognize the disciples looked at him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. First time with Jesus and the disciples that they said, teach us blank. They never said, teach me to preach. They never said, teach me to cast out demons. They said, teach us to pray. The son of man is in front of them. All right? the, the creator and the sustainer is standing right before their eyes. And there was something so special about his gift of prayer that they said, teach us that. All right? Forget the rest of it. Teach us this one thing. It must have been something extremely special. And listen to me. This gift is, is so special for us. Like God expects you to use it. Like if I, if I come up here and laid a thousand bucks on the table and said, hey, like this is yours, come get it. Like you're not gonna walk out of here and leave a thousand dollars on the table. It's the same thing with prayer. God expects you to come into this invitation. He expects you to use it. In verse two, he said, when you pray, not if you pray. Look, I told you that this gift is, is like an invitation. This is an invitation to a relationship with a father. This is an invitation to a relationship with a loving father who wants to hear from you. Do you realize that no other religion on this planet can offer that? No other religion in the world can offer you a God that says, I'm here for you, I love you, I wanna speak to you through my word and I want you to speak to me through prayer. I love you, you're mine, you're my child. There's no other religion that offers that type of relationship for you. 
Because this also means that he's letting you take part in what he's doing. Like, yes, God listens to us, but it says, hey, I'm gonna use your prayers, right? I believe prayer changes things. I believe that God sovereignly chose to use our prayers to change the outcome of certain situations. When you pray, God's gonna move. He's gonna change things. I believe that with all my heart. God's inviting me to do his work. God's inviting me to join him on his mission. What a thing to be invited to. But how would your prayer life change if you truly saw prayer as a gift? Not so much I, I need to do this, but you saw it as a gift. How would your prayer life change? Um, let's look at the second thing, B. All right. uh, why should we pray? We're looking at B, it reveals our hearts. Okay, We said it was a gift, that was an invitation. Now we're looking at it reveals our hearts. This is illumination, all right? This is illumination. Luke chapter six, verse 45, listen to this. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or take a look at Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Nothing reveals our hearts more than the words that come out of us, all right? Nothing reveals your heart, not when you're being fake in public, but like when you're at home and you're around your family and you've let the walls down, nothing will reveal your heart more than that. I've seen it in my own life recently. I've seen it in my own life recently. When I let my guard down at home, nothing reveals my heart more than the words. What's in will spill out. Guys, the trash truck don't spit gold out the back of it, okay? If I dump a cup of coffee over on the floor, I'm not wiping up juice. What's inside of it will come out. You wanna see how selfish somebody is? Get them to truly bring you into their prayer life. Get them to truly tell you what they're praying for, all right? If you wanna know what your kids' hearts are really like, listen to your child pray. Listen to your child pray. I, listen, I'm about to pick on my eight-year-old for a minute, but y'all cut him some slack. He's eight years old, but... I love prayer time with my son, Clay. I love it. It's one of the greatest parts of being a dad is when we kneel down beside his bed at night and we pray together. But I will tell you this. I have never in eight years heard my eight-year-old pray, God, I'm concerned about my holiness. All right? I've never heard my eight-year-old pray and be completely broken over his sin against God that day. But I tell you what I have heard, a whole lot of bicycles and baseball game tickets and cakes and birthdays and all this other worldly stuff, right? My kid's selfish. Your kids are too, so don't look at me funny. But kids are really selfish. Nothing reveals that more than the words that come out of my child in his prayer. All right? Listen to this, though. Words reveal your heart, and your heart reveals your treasure, okay? Just follow with me for a second. Our words reveal our heart, and our heart reveals our treasure. So what does your prayer life reveal about your heart? What does your prayer life reveal about your heart? If we dove into your prayer life, what words would make up 90% of your prayers? For example, for me, y'all, I hate to even admit this. This is hard for me. But anyway, the word is me. Like me. God help me. God do this for me. God help me. So maybe I'm a selfish person. All right, but what about you? The, the human heart's an idol factory. So if our heart's revealing our treasure, what idols are coming out of you? Maybe for some of you, 90% of your words are my kids. Maybe it's my kids. So what does that reveal about your heart? Well, on a strength, maybe you're an amazing parent, really. Like maybe you care deeply about your child's relationship with God, but 
Maybe your weakness is possibly your child has first place in your heart and not Jesus, all right? This can reveal that. Prayer can illuminate your heart. It can reveal those things. For some of us, uh, 90% of our words are about finances. 90% of our, our prayers, our words and our prayers are about finances. What does this reveal about your heart? Well, a strength could be you're a great steward of what God's given you, right? You're a smart investor. Uh, you've, you've given money back. You've, you've funded the mission of God. That's amazing. But a weakness, maybe money's got more of a grip on your heart than you think you do. For some of us, 90% of our words and our prayers are about our spouse. All right? Strength. Maybe you care deeply about your spouse's relationship with Christ. Weakness. Maybe you're quick to pick out the sin in your spouse and neglect the sin in your own heart. Right? So think about it. The words that are coming out of you in your prayer life reveal a lot about your heart. You can learn a lot about yourself and your own sinfulness if you'll just pay attention. Prayer can reveal strengths, but it can also reveal sins. Nothing's personally shown me sin like my prayers. When I really reflect back on the things that I've asked God for, I'm ashamed. I am. I'm ashamed a lot of times. Like God's not my priority. God, God never was the central theme of why I prayed. I might have thought he was, but all it did was reveal more sin in my heart. But that's why I love the Lord's Prayer so much. Like it's, it's fixated on the Lord, our Father who art in heaven. That's how we're coming into this thing, baby. Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. The word me is nowhere in that. What a model. What a model for me to look to. Listen to me. Your prayer life can reveal what has first place in your heart. And a lot of times, if we're honest, it ain't God. But the good news is prayer will illuminate your heart. If you will think about your prayers, just ask yourself the question. God will illuminate the problems in your heart through prayer. If God answered all your prayers from last month, how many people would be in heaven? How many people or how many disciples would you have made this week if God answered all your prayers? And a lot of times, we know the answers to these questions, but we fail to address them. We fail to put them at the front of our mind. We keep them in the back. God, I know you want me to do something about that. God, I truly want to do something about that. I don't want to have the same answer to this question in six months, but yet you never put it at the front of your mind. I don't put it at the front of my mind. I'm not trying to take swings at y'all here. I'm, I'm in the boat with you. I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm holding the paddle. But the next thing, um, uh, the next reason as to why we should pray is because we're in a war, all right? And this one cuts me deeply. This one means a lot to me. Um, I think of desperation. We talked about invitation. We talked about illumination. Now, we're thinking desperation, right? John Piper says this. Until you realize the Christian life is a war, you'll never know what prayer's for. You're never gonna know what prayer's for. One of the reasons that we fail to pray <laughs> is because we're blind to how desperately we need God. America's gotten real comfy, all right? And, and I hate to say that, I do. But America's gotten really, really comfy. I, I know this to be true, and listen to me. I love where I live, I'm not trying to beat up on us as Americans and say, you know what, I hate this place. I love South Georgia. I love some of the traditions we have. Georgia football's amazing. All the rest of the programs suck. But I love the morals that we have. I love some of the things that we stand for. I do, I swear. But something else I know to be true is that we tend to be disconnected from the spiritual realities that are going on around us. Listen to me. I know so many people that are fired up about Afghanistan right now. They're just completely just appalled at what's going on in Afghanistan. 
And I'm with you. I'm glad you do. I appreciate that. I hope you have a burden for it. But let me tell you something. It's been going on a lot longer than this week. It's been happening for centuries. It ain't just happening in Afghanistan. There's a war going on everywhere. It's at your house. It's at my house. There's a war going on. And we tend to be disconnected from it. Listen to me. We have a real enemy, all right? This is the who. We have a real enemy. Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Who's his prey? Who's he coming for? Anybody who attempts to glorify God in any way, which is hopefully all of you, hopefully it's me, you got a target on your back. Satan's coming for you, all right? We got a, a real enemy. This is the who. We're in a real war. This is the what. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sin wages war in your heart. That's why when Jesus says the prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation. Let me tell you something. I feel like for us, especially here in America, we start talking about spiritual warfare. We start talking about the evil forces in the heavenly realms. We start talking about the powers of this dark world. People get uncomfortable. Now, we don't want to talk about it. This is too weird for me, right? Let me tell you something. Satan's real. Demons are real. They are hunting you down right now. You know what's even scarier? You can't see them. You can't see them. This is what's happening in Afghanistan. This is what's happening in the White House. This is what's happening in America. Spiritual warfare is going on. Satan is waging war in our hearts. Nothing keeps me praying more than the fear of my own sin. If God has taught me anything since I've been saved, it's that I am one jacked up son of a gun. All right? And the more that I'm saved, the more things that I begin to see in my heart, the more I realize, man, I need God to clean my life up, right? But that drives me to pray. It drives me to pray. You know, I don't pray because I'm super spiritual. Like, I hadn't cleaned it all up, and that's why I pray. I pray because I know I'm not super spiritual. I need God's, God's help. I pray because I know sin is crouching at my door waiting on me to put my guard down. Sin's waiting on me to put my guard down. The same sin that caused Adam and Eve to eat is the same sin that lives in my heart today, right now. Spiritual warfare is all around us. Listen, there's something deeper going on here, and I'm trying to help you see it. You don't think there's something deeper going on with your marriage problems? It ain't just money. Like, you don't think there's something deeper there? You don't think Satan's hands aren't all over the, the vaccine debate and debacle and disunity? You don't think Satan's figured out how to work both political parties to disunify the church? You don't think there's something deeper going on there? You really think it's as simple as two political parties colliding over one another. There's something deeper going on there. Spiritual warfare. Do you not see that Satan loves church attendance? He loves religion. He loves it. He loves our gatherings. He loves for all of you to come in here as long as you don't leave here and start praying. Satan loves it. It holds no power apart from prayer. Listen to me. He will jump on anything he can to distract you from what's real. And listen to me. This is what's real. I know this to be a fact. Our kids are lost without Jesus. We are lost without Jesus. The church is on a decline in America. The devil's roaring around like a lion. 
Sin's waging war on us. And lastly, if we don't start taking sin serious, it's going to take us out. If we don't take it serious, it's going to take us out. Satan doesn't want us to focus on spiritual issues, so he distracts us with physical ones. He distracts us with physical ones. If you aren't praying, then it's possible you've been distracted from the war that's going on around you. And I don't mean that, again, to take shots at you guys. Just something for you to reflect on. But the good news is that we have a real weapon, prayer. Prayer is how we fight. But we live in a culture of do-it-yourself. Guys, name me one of these problems that you've been able to fix that I'm about to list out. And don't worry, I'll wait after I share them. But you, you can't fix your marriage. You can't fix your kids. You can't save yourself. You can't conquer sin. You need Jesus. And the only way to connect to him and tap into his power is through prayer. It's through prayer. I think about Peter. You know, when he was, they were in the garden and he takes the sword out when the soldiers come in and Peter just, wacha, just chops his ear off, all right? Jesus is like, you moron. What are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do it. Put your sword down. You can't do it. Hate doesn't drive out hate. Evil doesn't drive out evil. Only God can do that. Only prayer can do that. Prayer is the only hope for our families, our church, our city, our world. It's not a prayer is just all we can do is pray. No, no, that's not it. Prayer is the best thing you can do. It is the best thing you can do. All right, lastly, and I gotta hurry. Lastly, we should pray because it changes everything. It changes everything. This is the destination. This is where we're trying to get to. I wanna get to the place to where I just, man, I believe this so deeply, like all I do is pray. Every, every inch of my conversations are just soaked in prayer, right? Everywhere in the Bible that God's doing incredible things, somebody was behind the scenes praying. Listen to this. It changed everything for Israel when Moses was praying. It changed everything for Peter in the New Testament when the church was praying. It changed everything for the Philippian jailer when Paul and Silas prayed. It changed everything for me when Grandma prayed. It changed everything about our church when our prayer team sits in there week after week kneels down in that room over there and prays through both of these services here at STC. It changes everything. I believe that with all my heart. Listen, I'm about to give you something I really want you to remember, but the church in Acts advanced on its knees. Listen to this. What was fundamental for them has become supplemental for us. What was fundamental for the church in Acts has become supplemental for the church in America today. This was part of the DNA of who they are. Everything was about prayer. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. I know right now of six passages beyond that where it says, basically, hey, an issue arose, bam, we're praying. The whole church, praying, 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 praying. This is how the church blew up. And then, you know, we, we all, deep down, at least I do, wonder like, God, why don't you do stuff like that now? Like, man, I just want to see like a, I want to see a real miracle. Like, I mean, just like a, just something just blows your mind and you're never going to get over it, right? And we wonder why we don't, but we don't pray like the church in Acts. We don't pray like the church in Acts. Connection Church, listen to this. This is also important. This church is never going to be any better. We are never going to thrive any more than the prayer life of everybody in this room right now. This church will never thrive and never be any better than the prayer life of each one of us in this room. You wanna see God do a miracle through this church? Because it ain't about us, it's about what we can do out in this world for God. But if you wanna see God do a miracle in this church, I dare you to start praying. I dare you to start praying. 
My ministry won't matter a whole lot if I'm up here preaching a whole lot more than I'm praying. Nothing I say up here will ever matter, ever. Nothing Billy says will ever matter, nothing Blake says. So I ask you, what is not happening because you're not praying? What's not happening because you're not praying? Guys, I know I get a little riled up with that, but I just, I know we're in a war. I get excited. I'm sorry. I I'm, I'm promise I'm not taking jabs at you. But we've covered a lot at this point, but let's jump into our, our last point for today. All right, let's talk about how do we pray. Let's talk about how do we pray. Well, first of all, clearly we pray to God. But I think then that brings up the question, who is God, right? Who is God? Well, God is a trinity, okay? And this is gonna make sense in just a moment, but God is a trinity. And, and that's, the, that's the God that saved you. That's the God that you talk to. That's the God you spend um, you know, time with. That's the God you have a relationship with. When I say God is a trinity, and, and listen, remember all this in light of how we should pray. The Father God ordained it the Son of God purchased it. The Spirit of God applied it, okay? This is, this is who God is. Just follow along with me. Keep this in mind. Let's walk it out. All right. We pray to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit, okay? That's a model for you. That's a model. We're gonna talk about each one, but we pray to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit, and listen to me, after we're done talking about it, hopefully this makes sense to you. When you pray in this manner, when you pray in this format right here, it will do something in your heart. I have not always prayed like this, but since I've started thinking about that, I, this morning, for example, I got in the truck and the first thing I went to do um, was pray again this morning. <laughs> but what was funny is I stopped before I started praying. I was like, nah, I'm about to pray to the Father. Like it was the first thing that hit me in the head. And like I acknowledged God for who he was before I ever even started praying. And man, it did something to me. It will, always, it will change your prayer life. You'll never pray the same again. But let's, let's look at each one real quick. I need to hurry. To the Father, right? We pray to the Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now listen to John. He says, Father, John chapter one, verse 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We pray to a father. All right, the word Abba, whenever you translate that like more closely into our language, stop thinking of it as like formal, like father. Think of it as like daddy. Hey, daddy. That's, that's more along the lines of, of what we should be should be thinking here. Listen, this is not a church term. Child of God does not mean like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, like, I'm one of those. I'm one of those that's like in that group that's, that's going to heaven. Like, I'm talking about like a, a literal child. You are a child of God when you put your faith in Christ. That's not a church term. That's not a church term. So listen to me. What would change if you prayed to God like he was truly your dad, like he was truly your daddy? Like you let the walls down, you got real intimate, you started being honest? First of all, praying would become beautiful, not useful, all right? Praying would become beautiful, not useful. Religions see God as useful, okay? Religious people, religion, sees God as useful. It's nothing more than a business deal. 
This is a transaction. I'm more worried about the return of this prayer than I am the relationship involved in it. But when you start to see God as your father, when you see him as, as daddy, he becomes beautiful, not useful. In opposition to all that, though, in opposition to religion, the gospel does see God as beautiful. Just think, Jesus said, hallowed be your name. The gospel helps us see God as a loving father. Like When I see God as, as my daddy, and I know that he sent Jesus to do what he done for me on the cross, I'm, I'm blown away. Like My heart is crippled. Like I, I, can't, I can't even figure that out in my head when I start thinking about what Jesus has done for me. But man, it drives me into so much more deeper intimacy with God when I pray to him. Like, Daddy, I cannot believe what you have done. I can't even understand it. Listen, second of all, you would pray from a position, not a performance. Listen to me. You don't have to earn the right to bend God's ear. You don't gotta earn the right to speak to God. Jesus earned your place for you as a child of God. Jesus earned your place. We don't have to persuade him to listen. We don't have to impress him with our prayers. God's already impressed with you because of the righteousness that covers you thanks to Jesus dying on a cross for you. Jesus is your brother. Uh, again, not a church term. Like, hey, that's my brother in Christ. He is your literal brother. You now have the same daddy. Okay, are you tracking with me on that? This is not a church term. Adoption is a one-time parental decision. They don't offer annulments for adoption, okay? Whenever you adopt a child and they start misbehaving, you don't run back to the courthouse and say, I don't want this one. That's not how it works. We've been adopted. We've been adopted. Third of all, you wouldn't be so slow to enter his presence. If you truly saw God as your daddy, you wouldn't be scared to run to him. You wouldn't be scared to talk with him. You wouldn't be scared to give him your issues. Look, I know some of us have parental issues, but you don't wear out your welcome at mom and daddy's house. You bring everything you got to mom and daddy's house. Son, you come here. You need anything, you come here. Let's talk about it. You can't wear out your welcome in the presence of God either. So listen. If we need to pray, if we're gonna, gonna pray to God as if he's our daddy and we're his child, I want you to understand what, what a child looks like. Think about it. For example, if you were to pray like a child, children are messy, not clean. I don't know if my kids own an outfit that doesn't have something smeared and stained all over. Kids are messy, not clean. Stop pretending like you got it all together. Kids are honest, not fake. My kids are brutally, brutally honest. Brutally honest. We, I mean, we were in a restaurant the other day, Carter. Daddy, I pooped on the potty. Oh, boy. So they're honest. They're brutally honest. They're bold. They're not reluctant. My kids come to me with some requests, and I'm like, I will knock you out if you ever come in here with that mess again. They are bold. Really, really bold. They're simple. They're not impressive. They're simple. Their minds hadn't even fully developed. They're simple. And they're persistent, not occasional. Especially Carter Riles. Whenever she asks me for something, I got two options. Give it to her or get in my truck and leave the house. One or the other. They are persistent. 
You watch any child you know and you'll see these things. So you pray just like a child to a father. All right, I'm hurrying. Secondly, through the son, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Old Testament priests were the mediators between God and man. Jesus is taking that place for us. Jesus is our intercessor. This is who he is, God's one and only. All right, this is what he's done in the past. Crucifixion saved us from our sins. This is what he gives us, righteousness. All right, this is what he does now, intercession. Listen, when Clay has a friend over, let's say the kid, kid wants something out of my pantry. First thing Clay do, daddy, can he have so-and-so? Yes, buddy, he can have so-and-so. Clay intercedes on behalf of his buddy. Jesus does the same thing for us. Jesus is our intercessor with God. What would change if you saw Jesus as the real intercessor? I'll tell you what, confidence. You would approach God a lot more boldly. I truly believe and rest in the fact that Christ has done everything necessary to save me. And I am confident, I am confident that because of that, God will listen to everything I have to say. I don't mean that to be arrogant or prideful, but I believe in the Bible, and that's what it says. You've got the keys to heaven. You've got the keys to heaven. Lastly, we pray in the Spirit, okay? We pray in the Spirit. We've got the regeneration to pray. As an unsaved person, your prayer holds no power. But as a saved person, the Holy Spirit has illuminated my heart. The Holy Spirit has, has given me a passion to pray. It's ignited me to pray. The Holy Spirit activates our will to pray. And let me just stop right there and say, listen, a lot of y'all are uncomfortable when we start talking about the Holy Spirit and all. But listen to me. I can't read the Bible and ignore the fact that the Holy Spirit does some weird stuff. I don't understand it. I wish I could sit up here and teach you every principle on the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you this. I don't completely understand it, but my gosh, I love it. I love it. I want some more of it in my life. I want God to do a work in my heart. And I want it to illuminate prayer and all these other things in my life, okay? You don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand it. Just know that it's regenerated your heart. It's real. It's a, it, it's a spiritual power. Romans 8, 5, 7, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Listen, it's the power line running from your driveway to your house. It connects you to the source. The Holy Spirit's crazy about God. It's crazy about Jesus. It's crazy about you. Look, it leads us in prayer. It ushers us into the throne room. Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It helps me in prayer. The Holy Spirit aligns my heart with God's. The Holy Spirit puts things on my heart to pray for. The Holy Spirit makes me think about that person that I hadn't talked to in weeks that needs a phone call from me. I pray in the Spirit. When I feel that, that, that voice or I feel that thought that I need to call so-and-so, 
I'm going to call them. I'm, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray in the Spirit. It points me to what's best. Listen, I can ask boldly from God, but I can also, in humility, completely let the walls down because I can trust that the Holy Spirit's what's best for me. God's given me what's best for me. Not necessarily what I want, but what's best for me. And I pray that same thing for me with my kids, right? I want to give my kids what's best for them. I don't want to give them everything they want. I want to give them what's best for them. So, what do you really need? What's really best for you? I can tell you this, two things for sure. You need to be saved from your sins and you need to continuously encounter the love of Jesus. So this is the last thing I'm gonna do. I've got a prayer here from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. This is my prayer for you today. I told you, I'm not dropping some big theological truths on you, but I am asking you as a family, pray. I need you to pray. This church needs you to pray. The kingdom of God needs you to pray. Fall on your face and pray. Create a habit of prayer. If you walk out of here and you don't go to God in prayer and communion, we're weak, we're vulnerable. But I wanna read this for you and afterwards you guys, uh, I'm gonna pray it out and then you can be dismissed. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God, we know who you are. God, we thank you for who you are. You are the creator, God. We are simply the creation. God, because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, we boldly ask you to, to make us a people of prayer, God. Ignite our hearts. Flame the Holy Spirit inside of us, God, to, to overflow with prayer for this church, for your kingdom, for this city, for this town, God, this state, this country, this world. Give us a burden to pray so heavy that we can't walk with it anymore, God. Because of what Christ has accomplished on our, our behalf, we ask these things confidently from you in his name. Amen. Thank y'all.